0: Yes, we are in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7 tonight. If you're using a chair Bible, you can find that on page 589. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word... For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. (coughs) since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Our scripture passage this evening addresses a subject that can be charged with a lot of emotion. It concerns the situation of a Christian wife married to a non-Christian husband. Now we know according to God's word that God's design for marriage is for husband and wife to become one flesh. There's not only a physical union in marriage, but there is a union of two souls. It's as if your souls are knit together to become one. And the soul is the center of the mind and the will and the emotions. So the intimacy of marriage is that the mind, will, and emotions of two distinct persons become so close, so intertwined, it's as if they're one. And because of this intimate connection of the souls in marriage, a marriage marked by one believing spouse and one unbelieving spouse will have a disconnect. For one person has been regenerated, their mind renewed in the truth of God. Their view of the world and for daily living is shaped by biblical truth. While the other remains unregenerated and their worldview shaped by a mind set on the things of the world. Romans 8, 5 explains it very clearly. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Therefore, it's clear to see how the situation can produce much emotion as the two different mindsets, the two opposing worldviews, can produce much conflict between husband and wife. And I approach this subject tonight with a sensitivity, perhaps, that for some of you this has been many years of emotional conflict in marriage of living in an ever present tension of bearing a deep heart burden of many years of praying for the salvation of an unbelieving spouse of wrestling within your own soul to not lose hope That God will hear you and bring the grace of salvation to the one that you love. Well, God in His magnificent mercy has provided instruction and encouragement in His Word that addresses all of life's situations. And so it is with this text tonight, this Spirit-inspired letter written by the Apostle Peter, to address Christians in suffering in, in many different contexts. It is written for instruction and encouragement to keep the faith and not lose hope. Well, I have four points for us as we work through this text. Point number one, the powerful witness of a Christian wife in submission to God's design for authority in marriage. That's verses one and two. The powerful witness of a Christian wife in submission to God's design for authority in marriage. Point number two, the beauty of pursuing godly character. Verses three and four. The beauty of pursuing godly character. Point number three, learn from the example of other godly women whose hope is in God. Verses five and six. Learn from the example of other godly women whose hope is in God. And point number four, husbands are responsible to continually learn the needs of their wives. Verse seven, husbands are responsible to continually learn the needs of their wives. Well, Point number one, the powerful witness of a Christian wife In submission to God's design for authority in marriage. Looking at verse 1. he says. Likewise wives be subject to your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word. They may be one without a word. By the conduct of their wives. So we got to take note of that first word. Likewise. That That word can also be translated in the phrase. In the same way. So, likewise or in the same way? And it leads to the question, likewise or in the same way as what? Well, to answer that, we need to look back to what Peter has written in the verses prior to this in chapter 2. As you recall from our study in chapter 2, starting at verse 13, we are instructed to submit to governing authorities because the authority of government has been established by God. Submission to authority... Is therefore God's idea. It's not a man's idea. It is his design. And in the case of government, it's for the purpose of providing order and protection for its citizens. And then in verse 18, we see that, that there is authority in the workplace. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. There's an authority within the Godhead as Jesus demonstrated his obedience to the Father in his suffering. Likewise, in the same way, God has designed a structure of authority in marriage. And the husband is to be the head. He is to lead. Ephesians 5.23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. You see, there is order and design in all that God has made. God has established authority as a provision of leadership. Leaders are to set direction, to protect, to guide. That's the role of the husband in marriage. That's the role of elders in the church. It's the role of government in society. All of it God-ordained, God-designed... Therefore, it is good, and it is for our good. Well, this authority structure is then the basis for Peter writing, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. God has given responsibility of leadership in marriage to the husband, and therefore, consequently, for the wife to submit to that leadership. That's what be subject to in verse 1 means. Now, I know that we... Kind of recoil from that word submission. We want to step back from it. All right? That reaction is not surprising if your concept of submission is something like this. It's brainless obedience. I've just got to do whatever he says. I can't think for myself. Or maybe the perspective is being treated like a servant. He demands of me. He expects me to meet his every desire yet never considers me. What we observe and experience often becomes our definition of something. But let's challenge that perception of submission by looking closely at God's design and His intent and His Word. Our perception of submission may be vastly different to how God defines it. What if I told you that submission is an honorable role for the wife in marriage? How can I make that assertion? Well, Genesis 2.18 says, God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The honorable role of submission in marriage is for support of the husband to fulfill his God-given role of leadership. John Piper defines a wife's submission to her husband as the divine calling to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Have you ever considered in marriage that submission in marriage is a divine calling? Every Christian is uniquely gifted by the Spirit of God. So then the Christian wife that is submitting first to the power of the Holy Spirit within her will then be able by the gifts of the Spirit to offer wisdom and insight and help to her husband while ultimately yielding decisions to him in order for him to fulfill his role of leadership. Well, the next part of verse 1 focuses on a specific marriage situation. And I alluded to it earlier. It reads, So that even if some do not obey the word, So Peter is addressing the situation of a woman being married to an unbelieving husband. We can be certain this is what is meant from what is written earlier in the letter concerning obedience to the truth of God's word. If we look back to chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, he says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. See, we see in those verses that obedience to the truth is evidence that one is born again. That's regeneration, born again. A heart that was once dead to the things of God is made alive by the power of God So that you can then respond to hearing God's word and obeying the living and abiding word of God. So we can then conclude that disobedience to the truth would be evidence of an unregenerate heart. One who is not born again. A continual pattern of disobedience to God's truth would be credible evidence that that person, and in this particular case, in this text, The husband is unregenerate. He's not a Christian. Well, whenever we encounter a difficult teaching from God's Word, it's common for us to search for the exception clause. Elizabeth Elliot is quoted as saying, God's Word does not give us any footnotes. So a Christian wife in the situation described in this text might think something like this. I know this is what God's Word commands, but you just don't understand my situation. Surely, God doesn't expect me to obey this command in my situation. We look for a way out because it's hard, because it requires trust in what God says is true. Now, it's here that I must be very clear about what Scripture is teaching us. If you are in an abusive marriage, And by abusive, I mean verbal abuse, emotional abuse, or even physical abuse. Any one of those three forms of abuse, perhaps all three. God's Word is not commanding that you just bear up and submit to that. That kind of behavior by a husband is egregious sin. It is clearly against the commands of God. If that's the kind of marriage relationship you find yourself in, dear sister, I plead with you to please seek help. Please seek the help of your elders. That's why we are here, is to guide and lead and protect. It's a safe place to come and bear your heart and seek the biblical counsel and guidance that God provides through leadership in the church. And I also want to tell you, it's not disrespectful to your husband. In fact, it's loving. It's loving to seek biblical help, to seek biblical counsel. Because the goal is that both of you, by God's grace and His power, would bring peace and reconciliation to a marriage that would bring glory to God, ultimately. So... The situation that Peter is describing is a marriage in which the husband is not a Christian, the wife is a Christian, but it is not an abusive relationship. They get along in life. Their relationship is marked by love for one another. But there inevitably is conflict in the marriage, but not to the point of it being abusive. Well, Why then is it so important for a Christian wife to submit to the God-given leadership role of her non-christian husband because of the hope of what God may do in bringing salvation to her husband look at what the text says that he may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct what is it that a christian wife would want more than anything for her non-christian husband well it would be for his conversion right for him to join her in mind and soul, following together the commands of Christ. It would be be the completion of that intimacy we talked about earlier, of being as one soul that marriage is designed to be. Being like-minded affects everything in a marriage. The Apostle Paul used a vivid description and a warning to the believers in, in Corinth about Believers and unbelievers being joined together. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? I like the description of being yoked together because no matter what the marriage arrangement, whether both are Christians, both are non-Christians, One spouse is a Christian or not, marriage is work. It's because two sinners are coming together. And when two sinners are coming together, there's selfishness involved. And selfishness is a continual strain, continually working to destroy unity. So this image that Paul is using is one that would be very familiar to the readers in a society that was reliant on agriculture for its food so to pull a load or plow a field to prepare for planting a team of oxen was typically used and this team was tied together with a yoke it's an example of the proverbial saying that two are better than one but if you're unequally yoked one is pulling more than the other the work is harder And you may get off the path. In fact, pulling against each other will cancel the work and nothing is accomplished. Being unequally yoked in marriage prevents the fullness of partnership and fellowship that marriage offers. It brings tension and strain to the bonds of partnership. Well, up to this point, I've not used the term suffering in context of marriage like this. But in reality, there is a quiet suffering that takes place in the heart and mind of a Christian wife that is longing to be equally yoked, longing to be like-minded in all aspects of living. If the marriage is blessed with children, then you will want to be like-minded in decisions in parenting or in decisions about a vocation or in decisions where to live but most importantly, in spiritual decisions. There could be situations in which a non-Christian husband will not attend church. Or he may choose to go to a different church. And there becomes a whole aspect of her life that is not shared in partnership, in fellowship between the two. And that can result in a quiet suffering And become a weariness of soul as the years go by. The beginning of this text used the word likewise. And I explained that it was in relation to submission to God-ordained authority. But there's another aspect of likewise that we need to see. And it's in relation to the preceding verses in chapter 2. If you look at verse 21, it says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. Because Christ has suffered and shown us the example of how to endure, so also the Christian wife must look to Christ as her strength, and her example, and her hope, and her reason to live with a gentle and quiet spirit in respect to her husband. You see, Christ desired obedience to the Father, And entrusted his soul to him. That's what occurred in the garden in the night of his betrayal. When he prayed for the cup of God's wrath to pass from him. But then he prayed nevertheless father your will be done. Likewise or in the same manner. The prayer of the Christian wife is for the grace of salvation to come to her husband. But even if she's been praying that for a long time. You must not lose hope in God. It may seem as though God does not hear you. You may be tempted to despair that the spiritual unity you long for with your husband may never come. But as we read from Psalm 42 this morning, Hope in God. For I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Pray as Christ did. Nevertheless, your will be done, Father. Have the mindset of waiting on our faithful God. Dear sister, God has not forsaken you. In His divine providence, He has you in this marriage. I really like John Piper's definition of providence. It's purposeful sovereignty. There's purpose in all that God does. And as we were reminded last week from looking at Psalm 34, all that God does is good and for our good. He said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Remain steadfast in the faith. Hope in God. And be assured that your father hears your heart's cry to him. So a Christian wife should naturally long for her husband to be converted so that they live in greater unity and like-mindedness and all to the glory of God. The hope Peter is giving is that your husband, by watching the manner in which you live, in submission to his God-given authority over you, and as you live in purity by pursuing godliness and holiness, and by showing respect to him, it becomes a wordless presentation of the gospel. Godly character is powerful. This living respectfully and in purity commends the gospel. Respect means to be in awe of, to revere, or to treat as someone special. Ephesians 5.33 says, Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Respect of your husband, then, is a decision to obey God's word. It is not a decision based on his merit. I want to say that again. Respect of your husband is a decision to obey God's word, not based on his merit. Discontent in marriage can prevent you from seeing commendable qualities in your husband. In her book, The Fruit of Her Hands, author Nancy Wilson comments on respect. This is what she said. It has been wisely stated, obedience is the opener of eyes. Discontent blinds women to the many good qualities in their husbands. But when gratitude and respect are cultivated for their husbands, wives find more and more to respect. Dear sisters, ask the Lord to help you be obedient in this. And enable you to see those actions and qualities in your husband that you can commend. Well, how then is the Christian wife to present herself before her husband? This leads us to point number two. The beauty of pursuing godly character. The beauty of pursuing godly character. Look at verses three and four. It says, Do not let your adorning be external the braiding of hair, and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now this text is not a prohibition against wearing jewelry or nice clothing or making your appearance beautiful. The NASB translates this verse Your adornment must not be merely the external. A woman should desire to dress beautifully and feel confident about herself, about her appearance, but to do so modestly so as not to draw undue attention to herself. But this text is pointing us to something else. The greater emphasis should be on the inner beauty. That adorning of your spirit with Christ-likeness. That's, in essence, what's being described here. A gentle and quiet spirit is describing Christ. Again, look back to chapter 2, verses 23 and 24, how Peter described Christ's response to his accusers. It says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And Peter says in verse 4 that the heart that is adorned with a gentle and quiet spirit is very precious in God's sight. That means it is God's will. Whatever pleases the Lord is His will. Dear sisters, pray for God's help in adorning your spirit with the inner beauty of Christ. That gentle and quiet spirit. I also would recommend to you a book as a great resource in this in everything that we're really talking about here tonight. Submission to Your Husband, Pure Conduct, A Gentle and Quiet Spirit. It's called The Excellent Wife. The author is Martha Peace. It just has some great, it has great biblical counsel through it, but it has great assessment questions to help you think through your divine role of submission to your husband. Well, not only should you pray for these Christ-like qualities, but also look to the example of other godly women, both in the scriptures and in your life. Look to them as a role model on which to pattern your life. This leads us to point number three. Learn from the example of other godly women whose hope is in God. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. We all need the encouragement of godly examples to help us in being obedient to the commands of God. Here, Peter looks to the example set by Sarah in her submission to Abraham. Take some imagination, but just think about the conversation between her and Abraham when he came to her and said, Well, God told me to move. Where are we going? Well, I don't know. But God just said, Go. And by the way, He's going to make a great nation of me. Her response may not have been an immediate uh, and cheerful, okay. Whatever you say, my dear husband, Scripture doesn't give us those details. But Scripture does show us, as we can read in Genesis, that Sarah did submit to Abraham's leadership. As we know that eventually she did bear a son, Isaac, and through Abraham all the nations are blessed through Christ Jesus our Lord. The last part of verse 6 is a kind of peculiar statement it says, Do not fear anything that is frightening. Well, anyone would naturally respond in fear to anything that's frightening. But what it's pointing us to is to see how Sarah responded. It probably was frightening to leave her family and all that was familiar to her and move to a land that she'd never seen. But through submission to both her husband and to God and trust in God, she overcame those fears. She put her hope in God, though it was many years before the promises of God came to pass. She did not lose hope. There was a confident expectation that what God promised would eventually become reality. And Peter is saying, you'll be like Sarah if you do the same. There can certainly be some fear in trusting the decisions of your husband, especially if he's not a Christian. But your obedience to God to submit to your husband's leadership will erase those fears and bring the peaceful fruit of obedience to Christ. So place your hope fully in God. Sisters, look not only to godly examples in the Scriptures, but also to spiritually mature godly women in this church family. We need one another to continue steadfast in the faith. And I would say to you, don't limit those relationships to only other married women. Consider meaningful relationships with single women also, even if they've never been married. For they can be valuable examples of godliness. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians seven thirty four: The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to be holy in body and spirit. So a single person that's never been married is not going to be able to offer marital advice based on experience. But they can offer experience and wisdom in looking to Christ and in pursuing Christ's likeness in your character. That in turn will help you in your obedience to God to submit your husband through the adorning of a gentle and quiet spirit. Ask the Lord to open your eyes to godly women in the Bible and learn from their examples. And ask the Lord to give you those deep, meaningful relationships with spiritually mature, godly women that will encourage you in the faith. Well, we've learned that God has designed authority in marriage. The husband has the responsibility of leadership. And the wife has the divine role of submission to the husband's leadership. So how is the husband to handle that God-given responsibility to lead his wife? That leads us to point number four. Husbands are responsible to continually learn the needs of their wives. Look with me at verse number seven. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Well, here's that word again, likewise. Peter's again bringing our attention to God's order of authority. In the same manner that a wife is to submit to the God-given authority of her husband, so also the husband is to submit himself to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul instructed the Corinthian church on the order of authority. 1 Corinthians eleven three, he said, But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. And as Christ is the head of every man... Likewise, or in the same manner, every man is to follow the example of Christ as he submitted to the will of the Father by drinking the full cup of the fury of God's wrath over our sin. That word understanding in the Greek carries this meaning. It says according to knowledge. It means according to knowledge. And again, we are to look to Christ as the example The Lord Jesus knew His mission. He had knowledge. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. He knew exactly why the Father sent Him here. And He set His mind toward the cross. And so it is for Christian husbands that have been instructed by the Word of God. The Word of God clearly defines the responsibility that husbands must love their wives as Christ loved the church and they are to nurture her and cherish her. See Ephesians 5, 23-33. The implication is that a husband is responsible to know his own wife well enough to apply God's principles to living with her. Men, have you ever thought something like this? I just don't understand her anymore. She used to be, fill in the blank, You know what we're really saying in that statement? What we really want is justification for our failure to continually know and understand the needs of our wives. We want off the hook. It's foolish to think that the needs that our wife had in our first year of marriage will be the same in year five or year 10 or year 25. Think of the changes she undergoes Physically, emotionally, with the birth of children, if your marriage is blessed with children. And more changes come with the 24-7 demands of raising those children and meeting their constant needs. Brothers, we must be continuous students of our wives. We must continually, intentionally think about their needs To sum it up in a word, we must be considerate. The opposite of that is being prideful, being inconsiderate, being selfish, perhaps aloof, just not paying attention. Or even worse, being apathetic, just not even caring. Humility is a prerequisite for living with your wives in an understanding way. Let me say that one again. Humility is a prerequisite for living with your wives in an understanding way. The Christian husband must humble himself to serve his wife by continually studying, observing her pattern of life in in order to know what she needs, physically, emotionally, and most importantly, spiritually. Because the Scripture commands us in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. A Christian husband is responsible to understand his wife so that she is continually moving forward in sanctification. You do this by praying consistently with her and for her. Consistently read the Word of God together and discuss it and apply it. Answer the questions and the complications that this life inevitably brings to us. Answer it by the guidance and instruction of God's Word and do that together. With knowledge, with consideration for your wife to understand her comes the responsibility for action. This action manifests in honoring her. Peter said, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Here again, it's insightful to understand the idea of the words in the Greek language. Giving honor carries the idea of showing esteem and thankfulness of the highest degree. It's noticing how she lives and encouraging her recognizing her for all the good and noble things she does. Brothers, how are you doing in paying compliments to your wife for not only the extraordinary things she does, but also the ordinary things? Those everyday tasks in managing your household that she does and makes it look effortless because she does it very well. Do you take that for granted? And how are you doing in being thankful to her, in expressing thanks to her? What makes her feel noticed, loved, and appreciated? How are you doing also in giving thanks to God for her? See, it's far too easy for our selfishness and pride to rule our thoughts. Instead of praise, we criticize. We focus on all the things we wish she would stop doing or all the things we wish she would start doing. Instead of esteeming her, we all too often criticize and demean. Brothers, that must not be so among Christian husbands. In humility, ask her to answer those questions to gain the knowledge of how she perceives you're doing and understanding and honoring her. And humbly accept her responses. And take action to improve in the areas where you're lacking. How do we fight against this kind of temptation? Our selfishness and pride. How do we fight against it? Confess the sinful thoughts and attitudes to God and ask for forgiveness. Ask God for the renewal of your mind according to His word. Ask for the strength of the indwelling Spirit of God to resist the temptation of selfishness and criticism. Ask for the transformation of your heart from selfishness and pride to being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. And be accountable to other brothers. Share your temptations to sin and ask for their support in prayer and also their support in instruction from the Word. Your wife is worth that effort, men. It is your God-given responsibility. Peter continues in instructing us in how to honor our wives in this next phrase. It says, as the weaker vessel. Again, the meaning is elevated when you look at the meaning of of the Greek word. For vessel, it means a useful container or instrument. And the word for weaker means fragile, strengthless. We were to treat our wives in the same manner we would a very delicate and useful vessel. We were to handle her very carefully and esteem her as priceless. When I read that definition of weaker vessel, those words, delicate, fragile, it reminded me of an illustration uh, Sandy and I have used in our parenting in the context of seeking to teach our children to honor their mother. It's by being aware of the tone of voice, words, and attitude used in addressing their mother. I've used this phrase. I've said, your mother is a delicate flower. Your words can crush her. Now, I know that's not exactly the same as Peter's illustration, a flower and a vessel. But still, a flower is something of beauty and worth, and it's to be set up for display. We put beautiful flowers in arrangements and set them in a place of prominence for others to admire and esteem. But yet they're delicate. They have to be handled carefully. They have to be nurtured. So men, treat your wife as a delicate flower. Are your words and your actions toward her crushing her spirit? When she expresses needs to you, Are you dismissive? Do you just try to minimize the problem? Do you immediately go into problem-solving mode? I'm not going to look at my wife. She knows I hmm, struggle with that one. Being a problem-solver is inherent to, to leadership, right? But not every time your wife expresses a need is she asking you to solve it right then. She first needs you to recognize how she's feeling. That her concerns, her anxiety, perhaps her fears are valid. She needs your understanding in that moment more than she needs a three-point plan for resolution. Men, we can crush our wives by being dismissive of their, their feelings. Just the same way we can crush a delicate flower underfoot. Be attentive and listen. Seek to understand her. Guide her patiently. Pray for God's wisdom to lead her according to the truth of God's word. Well, Peter concludes his instruction to husbands with a warning. That failure to live with our wives with understanding... To disobey our God-given responsibility will be a hindrance to our prayers. How is that and why? Well, God is serious about us being in right relationship with one another. Jesus said in Matthew 5 that we are to reconcile with others first and then come and make our offerings to God. So to ignore the needs of our wives and fail to live in an understanding way with them is disobedience. It is sin. And if it persists day after day, it's a pattern of sin. Psalm sixty-six eighteen 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Same thing that Peter's saying. If I cherished iniquity, it means if I make a pattern of choosing to obey the selfish desires of my heart, then I break fellowship with Holy God and He will not hear me. But what prayer will God hear? He will hear the prayer of genuine repentance, of asking for forgiveness, of confessing and agreeing with God about your sin. God will always hear and answer that prayer, for He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Another reason that failure to not live in an understanding way with our wives is a hindrance to prayer is that the husband not living in humility and understanding toward his wife will be more likely to pray for things that are not according to the will of God. The prideful prayer says, Lord, fix her. Lord, change this in her. His prayers are rooted in selfishness. But the prayer of humility says, Lord, reveal to me or I'm blind to the needs of my wife open my eyes to see my sin first enable me to serve her by the strength of your spirit grant me the mind of Christ humility toward my wife brothers seek to be an exemplary husband I've got another resource that I would recommend and it's by that title the Exemplary Husband. It's by author is Stuart Scott, and it is full of biblical instruction on this marriage relationship of how to be just that—an exemplary husband. It also offers, just like the Excellent Wife resource, it offers some excellent thought-provoking questions to help you think through obedience to God's word and loving your wife as Christ loved the church and also in being consistent in understanding the needs of your wife. So brothers, take very seriously your God-given responsibility to continue to live continually live with your wife in an understanding way, giving honor to her. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your perfect instruction to us. And Father, we've looked at a a topic tonight that is wrought with emotion. Especially, Father, for a wife that is in a marriage that at times seems unequally yoked. There's division and tension. So, Father, for that dear sister tonight, we pray that you would encourage her, strengthen her by the instruction of your word, that she would obey you, that she would have strength to come in submission to you, in obedience to you, to submit herself in a gentle and quiet spirit, being Christ-like, to respect her husband, And Father, we do pray for those marriages where there is an unbelieving husband. We pray for the grace of salvation to come. We pray, Father, for the powerful witness of a godly character of a wife that respects and submits to the leadership of her husband. And Father, we pray for us as men whom you have blessed to be husbands. Father, that we would take seriously What you have assigned to us. To love our wives as Christ loved the church. To sacrifice for them. To seek to continually understand their needs. And in humility. In Christ-like humility. Meet their needs first. Submitting ourselves unto you. For our strength. For wisdom. Father, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.